for the soon coming of Jesus Christ. I think it'd be good if, if you let me say what I'm saying. You're so responsive and quick. I want you to know what you're doing here. I want you when when God saved Brother Larry Booker out of a world of sin. It was one of the devil's worst nightmares because he lost one of his right hand men. Clap your hands. And give Jesus praise for doing that. Oh, that's right. Let's praise Him. He's a mighty God. We love you, Lord. We love you, Lord. Hallelujah. Glory, 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 glory. We love you. We love you. We love you. We love you. We love you, Lord. Oh, you are mighty. You are so mighty. You are so mighty. You are so mighty. Amen, amen. Well, let me again say that I am... Honored beyond words to be here with you. Um, if anyone has enjoyed and appreciated this time, it is I. And if anyone is a benefactor of this meeting, it's, it's uh, me, I believe, more than anybody. I've so enjoyed uh, getting to see and be with this church that I've heard so much about through the years. And I have uh, I've known your pastor and his wonderful pastor's wife. I'm going to tell you something. This is a special lady wherever she went. There she is. That's a special lady. That's a special lady. Amen. And, and uh, God has been good to this church to give you leadership like this and to give this city uh, leadership like this. And I mean that with all my heart. And so uh, we're here and we're excited. And I believe God's going to do good things tonight. Can you say amen? I'd like you to turn with me to the book of John, chapter number 18. And I want to say to this church also, for the fellowship across this nation and around the world, and I, I cannot express how sincere I am, thank you for sharing your pastor. I mean it. Thank you for sharing your pastor. I know that it, that is not an easy task, but you've probably heard this, but if you haven't, you need to, and if you have, you need to be reminded. There is only one thing worse than having a pastor that everybody wants to hear. That's having a pastor that nobody wants to hear. <laughs> Hallelujah. And I'll never forget, and... Uh, and I don't believe that Brother Huntley is, uh, is uh, gone quite like Brother Paul Price was from his church. But I will never forget, there was a banquet honoring Brother Price several years ago and uh, from uh, get put on by the district. And, and one of the key men was asked to speak in behalf of the Church of Napa, California. And he got up and said words that I never forgot. I thought they were so... Awesome. He said, we know that Brother Price is used everywhere. And we don't see near enough of him as we would like. But we would rather have our pastor half the time than anybody else all the time. And boy, he said a mouthful. He said a mouthful. And so you are blessed. You really are blessed. And, uh, and I enjoy my my friendship and my fellowship 
with your wonderful pastor and his wife. And I mean that. They're great, great, great people. And thank you for honoring him so and in so many ways, especially on this 25th uh, church anniversary. And I went down the highway today and saw the sign, and it excited me as if I'd have got a hold of an electric cord with no end on it. Hallelujah. It was, it was really, really neat, and I think that's wonderful. I think that's wonderful. Well, let's go to the Word of the Lord tonight. Uh, and, and one last thing. I really do appreciate uh, um, those that have purchased those books. If you've got something and I didn't get to sign it, give it to me and I will. And, and I don't need to say this. I know I don't need to say this, but uh, the proceeds of that is going to our building fund. So pray I sell $3 million, $3 million worth. <laughs> anyway... Uh, That'd be nice, wouldn't it? Anyhow, yeah, write some books, brother. You ought to write books. How many know this man ought to write? You really, seriously, you really need to write. You need to write a book to young preachers, things that I have learned. Ooh, I, I feel that. Oh, I feel it. He thinks we're kidding. We're not kidding, are we? That's right. There you go. It's a great commission, brother. Hallelujah. Oh, he needs to write. One verse of Scripture, verse 10 of John chapter 18. Then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and smote the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. And I'd like for us to pray together and ask that our God would speak to us tonight. Lord Jesus, words cannot express how desperately we need you. We're asking God that you alone would talk to us through your word and through your great unction of your spirit, God. Fill the sails of our souls, God, and minister very powerfully and deeply, God. Do the work that only you, through your word and spirit, are able to accomplish. We lay our hearts open that the word of the Lord have free course, God, in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you so very, very much. You may be seated. We have read to you from a portion of the Word of the Lord that deals with the closing few hours of the life of the Lord Jesus Christ while robed in human flesh. They are words that are given to us that, if we can really catch them, begin to show us the unbelievable pathos that that took place that night when he suffered so after having prayed so after having taught so and healed so and the thanks he got was a an ignominious horrid death but thank god he rose again prior to what we read for our text jesus was dealing with his 12 disciples, soon-to-be-commissioned apostles, and he dealt with them one last season in Mass, 
in an upper room where he had what we call now the Last Supper. We know that during that there was a lot of disappointment for the Lord. It was at that supper that he took Judas by the hand and dipped it into the oil with the sop and sent him out into the city to do the business that the devil had dropped into his heart. We also know that he came in on them and they were having yet an other intense discussion as to who should be the greatest among them. Here his heart was so unbelievably heavy, knowing that this was the last time he would be with them in this kind of a setting until we would all sit together at the marriage supper of the Lamb. He knew that he was facing horrid hours, hours that I really do not think human tongue can begin to describe. There was not just the physical agony, which is more than most any man could bear, but there was an emotional agony. There was even more so a deeply spiritual agony. And with that, there was a horror of great darkness that didn't just fill the land, but filled his heart as this man became sin for us and took upon himself all our iniquities and the sins of the whole entire world. Do you understand that there has never been and will never be a sin committed but what he paid for? He felt every single ounce of pain and sorrow and grief and emptiness and anguish and darkness for our sakes. Now he in this upper room is dealing with them. They have just had their discussion who's going to be the greatest. When Jesus looks at Simon and said, Simon, Simon, Satan hath desired to have thee, that he may sift thee as wheat. But I have prayed for thee, not that you will get out of it, but that your faith does not fail. And then he said, Simon, when thou art converted, strengthen the brethren. Now, if you ever want to strike fire with somebody, question either their politics or their conversion. And Jesus questioned his conversion. And he said, one of these days when you get converted, I want you to help these other folks. Now, that smarted because he had just been discussion with them as to how great and how much greater he was going to be than the rest of them. And now Jesus says he's not even converted. So he had to protest, as most people will, his conversion. And he did so by saying, if you please, not, I'm, I'm not converted. Lord, I am so converted that I will go to jail with you if need be. And for you to question my conversion, let me lay that to rest. Not only would I go to jail for you, but I would go to death with you and for you. Hoping, no doubt, to settle the matter with Jesus. Jesus looked at him and sighed, no doubt, and said, Simon, Simon, 
before the cock crows this day, you will have three times denied that you even know me. And then he wasn't going to stop and go into further discussion. There were far too weighty matters for him yet to deal with, to get into some kind of a squabble as to whether Simon Peter was converted or not. He knew that time was on his side. And he didn't have to waste any of it arguing. Time would show if he was correct or not. And then he began to ask them to draw up in their memory bank, do you remember the time that I sent you out in the beginning of this ministry? And I took your purse from you, your, your script. I took any loaves of bread you had. I took an extra coat. I took all of your money. Amen. Do you remember those days when I sent you out like that? And they all, yes, yes, we remember. He said, did you lack anything? And they had to admit, no, we didn't. Everything was provided for. That's good. That's fine. Now I'm telling you, you're going out once again. This time, take your money, take your script, take the purse, take, take it all. And then he said, and if you don't have a sword, sell your coat and buy one. And about that time, from somewhere, we can pretty well guess where, but from somewhere, two swords clanked down in front of him on the rock table. And a voice from that small crowd said, Lord, here's two swords. And we know, and we're pretty well assured that the voice was Simon Peter's. Because at least one of those swords was his. From the text that we have read, he would use it in just a little while. When he looked at those swords, an interesting thing in Luke, Jesus said, it is enough. And then he just kept on talking. And he went on down the road to further points that he had to make with them in this important last few moments of his life. Slowly, no doubt, a hand reached for one sword and then another. And as his discourse went on, they slid out of view and went back into their sheath. And Jesus proceeded in his talk. Now when Jesus stated that these two swords placed in front of him is enough. He could not, obviously, have been stating that when it came to physical armaments of war, that these two swords, however you want to look at it, amongst these twelve men is enough. If swords of such nature were okay with Jesus, he'd have said, well, you better get ten more. But he said, it is enough. And he did not, he could not have meant that these two physical pieces of armament were enough for these 12 men, or 11 now that Judas had left, and the kingdom of God. What he meant by it is enough was this discussion has gone on long enough. You're obviously not tuned in to where I'm headed. You're not hooked up to what I'm talking about. Amen. A few moments ago, you would swear to me how converted you are. And now when I'm speaking to you of things heavenly and of things spiritual, you're so obtuse 
but you're so converted that you don't even know. I'm not talking about something that'll draw blood and cut skin and break bone. I'm talking about the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Hallelujah. If you don't have, if you please, your Bible, then sell whatever you got to sell and get one. Because you have to have one. Amen. And understand that was spoken in a day when there was not a a Bible store on every corner where you could just pick it up. It was quite a deal to have your own, what we call today, Bible. Amen. That's what he obviously was talking about. But again, I'm not going to get into a squabble. I'm not going to take the time. We're not going to go down this road. of That's not what I mean. Well, what did you mean? And, and, and all of this. We don't have time for that. I'm just telling you that is enough. After a while, he finished speaking and he arose. He took the disciples down from that upper room and he began to make his way down through the Kidron Valley and came to the place where he was wont to pray at the foot of the Mount of Olives. There he made his way into the grove. There he separated Peter and James and John from the remaining disciples and asked them to go with him further into the garden. And then as is the nature of Jesus, he went a little farther yet. Amen. There he knelt and there he began to pray. He'd asked Peter and James and John, would you please pray with me? And as he went in and fell to his knees and began to go into a great agony I can see in my mind's eyes as John he he finds him a place and James finds him a place and, and Simon Peter kneels down and when he does and maybe he starts to bend over the sword and its sheath maybe needed to be adjusted because it's hard to pray with a sword's end sticking in the ground and he and he had to move it so he could begin his prayer vigil I'd like to stop right here and ask this question. And if you're looking for a title for what I want to preach to us about tonight, the title would be, Where Did Simon Get His Sword? Where did Simon get his sword? Or maybe better yet, what did Simon ever do with his sword? You know, even in that day, in that time, in that circumstance, walking with Jesus, it's hard to imagine a man following close to Jesus, bearing a sword, keeping it on his side, having it there. Having it home, having it in a closet, having it in a drawer, that's one thing. But, but to actually carry that sword on his side, it, it just doesn't seem to fit. Amen. With the whole picture of the life and the ministry of Jesus Christ. Somewhere, even in that upper room that day, Jesus could have cleared the table. He could have cleared the air. He could have made it very plain once and for all. Come on, Simon. It's time to grow up. We're not talking about swords and spears. My kingdom is not of this world. If it was of this world, then my servants would fight. But it's not of this world. But he didn't do that. Nor did he do that any time up to that point. In my mind's eye, 
I see Simon with that sword. Maybe they're sitting around the campfire. They're asking Jesus to please break down a little finer some of the parables that he spoke that day. And as he would give them things that kings and judges and righteous men and prophets of old had desired to look into but had never seen and never known. And as he was giving them the finer points of understanding, in my mind's eye, I see Simon shining his sword. Maybe having a a grindstone and, and sharpening his sword while Jesus talked. And you know that somewhere along the line, Jesus wanted to stop. But he held his peace. And he kept on teaching. And he kept on going. Somewhere in the discourses that Jesus gave, he never, if you please, gave a line that said, Thou shalt not bear arms thou shalt not carry a sword but he did give some principles Matthew 5 39 I wonder where Simon was when Jesus was preaching and he said resist not evil and whosoever shall smite thee on the right cheek turn to him the other I wonder if Simon had his hand on the hilt of his sword when Jesus made that statement or even when in Matthew 11:29 Jesus said take my yoke upon you and learn of me for I am meek and lowly of heart what he's giving is principles what he's giving is precepts I wonder where he was when Jesus said blessed are the meek for they shall inherit the earth amen I wonder if his wife heard those messages. I wonder if she ever brought it up to Simon Peter, etc., etc. But somewhere in the midst of the discourse of all that he said and he taught, Simon just wasn't quite getting it. I wonder when they discussed the word of the Lord around the campfire and different ones would ask questions. I wonder if Isaiah 53 and 7 ever came up concerning his master when it says he was oppressed and he was afflicted yet he opened not his mouth he is brought as a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before her shearers is dumb so he openeth not his mouth somewhere Jesus must have thought Jesus must have said to himself I can get rid of that sword that quick all he had to do is say Simon get rid of the sword and Simon would have said Okay. And he'd been gone. And he'd come back to camp and sit down. And the disciples would look. And it'd be over. Why didn't Jesus do that? Because he knew if he can really catch a hold of it, there's a much more excellent way. That's when we come to the conclusion ourself and we catch the revelation on our own I don't want to carry that I don't want to do that I don't want to be that it's one thing to have somebody tell you you can't but it's something else for you to come to the revelation and the realization hey boy I'm living for Jesus I want to make him happy I want to do God whatever you want me to do 
I want you to get rid of the sword, but more than I want the sword gone, I want your desire to be changed. Where you don't want the sword. Where you've got the revelation that it doesn't fit. That's what I really want. Amen. You could comply, but there's something deeper. It's like Paul said, let me show unto you a more excellent way this is good and fine and well and has its place we know that we tell our children to do things sometimes that they don't want to do but we know and i've seen some parents feel like i've seen parents sit down with their kids don't do that why nana because that's and so but i don't and i've seen i've seen grown adults sit down with four and five years olds and just trying to explain. Some of you guys say, because I said so. But as that child grows, it starts coming to a place where whether we like it or not, it's going to make its own decisions. And we hope and we pray that it gets enough wisdom and enough understanding that when the time comes, it will make its own decisions based on on what pleases God, on what is right in the Word of the Lord, of what is good common sense, of what's best for others, what's best for family, what's best for friends, what's best for the kingdom. Somewhere they've got to come to that revelation. Jesus did not want Simon to be hefting around that sword ready to take somebody's ear off. But at the same time, he didn't want an automaton. He didn't want a robot. He wanted somebody that would follow him and do what he did from the heart. Because he loved him. Because he saw it. Because it was a revelation. I really like the state motto of North Carolina. I mean it. I really like it. And I'll tell you this. You have, you have quite a heritage. Carolina is, North Carolina is quite a state. has quite a history. The state motto on your state seal is which means and there's different ways to render it, but basically to be rather than to seem. It means to be rather than to seem. That's what God wants to be one of our mottos. To be rather than to seem. He wants us to be Christians. Hearts, deep in our souls, deep in our minds. He wants it to be displayed. He wants himself to be displayed to this world from our heart, from our soul. I'm here to bring you glory, God. I'm here to make you happy. I'm here to display you to the world. I want him to see what Jesus would be if he was here right now. This has always been God's desire for his people. In the book of Leviticus. And Brother Huntley's going to read for me tonight. Chapter number 22. And verse number 31. Therefore shall you keep my commandments. Keep my commandments. And do them. And do them. I am the Lord. I am the Lord. Neither shall you profane my holy name. Don't profane my holy name. But I will be hallowed among the children of Israel. I will be hallowed among the children of Israel. I am the Lord which hallow you. I am the Lord which hallow you. 
that brought you out of the land of Egypt that brought you out of the land of Egypt to be your God to be your God I am the Lord I am the Lord the American Bible Publication Society version puts part of that on this wise and I will be sanctified among the sons of Israel I am Jehovah who sanctifies you Knox translation says it is among the sons of Israel that I would vindicate my holiness I, the Lord, who have set you apart for myself. Brothers and sisters, that precept, that principle is still true today. He has called us out. He has sanctified us because He wants to be sanctified in us and through us. We are the light of the world. Hallelujah. We are a light, amen, that is set like a city on a hill. It's not meant to be hid. It's meant to be displayed to the whole world. There's got to be a revelation. There's got to be a desire. I am what I am by the grace of God. I'm thankful for it. I love Him. He's been good to me. I want to be good to Him. Jesus could have took away that sword anytime He wanted to. But He would much rather Simon throw it away. There's a big difference. Between him taking it and Simon seeing it for all that it represented and was in reality so contrary to the spirit and the nature of Jesus that he would willingly get rid of it on his own. God, give us that revelation. Give us that revelation. I'm a little hesitant to say this because I do love the man and I respect him and he's old now. I try and help him financially along the way of life. And he was part of an era, really, Brother Huntley, and there was just a lot of thinking back then went sure. with that. Right. But one dear pastor that my wife had when she was a girl, and he really did, he put a lot of good things into the heart of my wife. But he took the church that she was a member of when she was early, early teens, just turned. And it was a critical time in her life. It was a critical time in the church. And that church, I'll just throw to tell you, it had a lot of jewelry, had a lot of jewelry. And he was determined to get rid of it. So every single service for six weeks, he preached on it until the last drop was gone. He was there six years. And the week he left, Brother Huntley, here it came. Oh, my. The week he left, my Lord. came right back. They did it because he was over them and in their face. And they felt the heat. And they complied. Thankfully, it did get in my wife's heart and some others. But wouldn't it have been so much better? Yes. If somewhere it could have been displayed in such a way that people caught the revelation and said, I want to draw closer to him. If anything is separating me from you, Jesus, that's what I want. That's what I want. Again, do you understand that anywhere along the way, three and a half years, Jesus could have said, come on, Simon, get rid of it. But he didn't. When he laid it down at such a sacred time as the last supper 
I can only imagine the grief of heart. Come on, Simon. Are you so deaf of hearing? Are you so obtuse in the spirit? Can't you understand? I'm not even going there. But it's enough. He went on, pray with me, pray with me. Simon moves his sword. He begins to pray. Jesus goes on into the garden. He falls to his knees. He prays and he prays and he prays and he prays. And the sweat begins to come. And now he's praying in an agony. And he's sweating as it were. Great drops of blood. He rises. He goes to see if his closest of the close are praying with him. This is the humanity of Jesus that does want some condolence and friendship. And he comes to the sound of snoring men. And there's Simon and John and James. They know something's up. They, they turn, they, they get a glimpse, and oh, 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 God, oh, God, oh, God, God. Oh, we love you, Lord. Help us, God. And he's standing there. No doubt as he looks at them in the moonlight, he sees the sheath of the sword glint. He says, can't you watch with me one hour? How about you? So converted one. You die with me. You go to prison with me. You do everything but pray with me. Sleep on. And he goes back. And he goes through the agony again. This time when he rises, it's with the help of angels ministering to them, to him. And he comes back to them. And there they are again. Sleep on now. Take your rest. The sound of them that have come to rest me are at hand and Now they're stirring, and when they hear the sound of marching feet, they stir quickly, and they leap to their feet. Something innate in Simon, his hand goes to the hilt of his sword. He's watching. They're trembling in the night under the light of torches now. They see a face, a figure. He's familiar. He reaches up. He kisses Jesus on the cheek. And Jesus literally not tongue-in-cheek reaches for Judas one more time and calls him friend. 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 Do you betray me with a kiss? And as they begin to surround him, something so basic to his nature, he, and he does love his master. He does love his master. Simon pulls the sword and he takes a swing in the night. He takes a man's ear off. It had been better light. He'd have probably got his head. Jesus whirls and says, put the sword into its place. He didn't even say put it in its sheath. He said, put it where it belongs. Put it into its place. If you live by the sword, you're going to die by the sword. He picks up the man's ear. He places it on the side of his head. This man has the most wondrous moment of his life. As the pain is suddenly gone. And the blood's dry and the ear is intact. And somewhere in his soul he's thinking, And I'm going to be part of arresting this man? 
And they take him off into the night. And the disciples flee left and right. And Simon begins to follow after him. And he goes to the judgment hall. And he goes to the fire. And we know the story. First one little maid, and then another. I know you. Your speech, it betrays you. You're a Galilean. In fact, you are with Jesus. He denies that he knows it. This is the man that said, I'll, I'll die with him. I'll, I'll die with him. I'll go to prison. I'll die. But now, no, I, you've got me confused with somebody else. I, I don't even know him. And then in a little while, it, it comes again. And, and, and no, I, I, I'm sorry. I don't, I don't know him. And then a little while later, he's around the fire. And someone yet once again says, I know you. Your speech bereaves thee. You're a Galilean and you were with him. And now something inside him, he's converted. He's strong. He'll go to prison. He'll die. Now it comes out. It's because of fear. And he begins to curse and revile. And God only knows what oaths came out of his mouth. And he said, I don't know him. And he's cursing. But nobody's listening. Nobody's paying attention. They're all looking over his shoulder. They're looking up. And then he turns to see what has got their attention. looking in the eyes of a bleeding, brutally battered man whose visage is marred more than any other. There are some moments when I get to glory I really want to see. And that's one of them. I literally have a list wrote down of things when I get to heaven I want to see. I want to see the look that transpired between the eyes of the weaving Jesus and the frightened Simon as he quits his cussing and they stare at each other and then the rooster begins to crow. I want to see how Jesus beheld him. I want to see the pain, but I want to see the sorrow and the compassion as the contortion comes over Simon Peter's face at the crowing of the rooster. And then a hand shoves Jesus on down the way. And the crowd moves on to see the rest of the show. And Simon, Simon is standing there. I cursed him. I reviled him. I, I, I said I'd die with him. And now he heard me cuss him out. He runs off into the darkness. He trips and falls and rises and goes again and stumbles and kneels and begins to weep bitterly. And he feels something thrusting in his side. And it's the hilt of his sword. And now he sees that in a light he never saw it before. It's not an emblem of his manhood and his power. All right. It's an emblem of his weakness and his failure and his carnality. And he takes that sword. In my mind's eye, I can see him, Brother Huntley, running to the edge of an abyss and throwing it into the night as fire! And wouldn't it be something... And as he heard it clank on the rocks below, 
He also heard another noise. It was the jerk of a rope somewhere. Not knowing that his old friend Judas had just hung himself. Can I propose to you tonight? I don't think you could pay Simon Peter enough money to carry a sword. Not after that night. Not after that experience. And Jesus was and still is the master. I want us to pray for just a moment. Ah, in your name. Hallelujah. Help us, Lord. Help us to see you in your true holiness, in the beauty of your love and your mercy and your grace. I love you, God. I love you, God. I wonder who has ears to hear what the Spirit is saying tonight. I pray, God, there's nobody like Simon here that could sit through sermons on the mount and other discourses and around fires and hear the words that the world longed for drip from the mouth of the Master and not understand and be so obtuse and out of it. I wonder when Simon was sharpening his sword if he was, instead of listening to what Jesus was saying, was trying to figure out how he was going to fix the tranny in the car and how he was going to fix the lawnmower and what can I do to get that raise and, and on and on when he should have been listening to what the Spirit of the Word was trying to convey to him. I wonder if his wife was filling out a grocery list. She should have been saying, come on, talk. These are issues of life and death. They're important, God. If I ever heard from you, I've got to hear from you. I've got to walk with you and I've got to talk. It means something to have the laws written on stone, but it means something else to let God write them on the fleshly table of your heart. I read one time. Musicians, can you come? Jesus was stopped in the midst of teaching. The crowd round about him began to part. And looks on their faces. Now they come dragging a woman. She was disheveled. She was ashamed. Her hair was wrecked. And they said, Okay, Jesus! We're going to find out where you're at. For once and for all, you either follow Moses or you don't. She was taken in adultery in the very act of which we're witnesses. The law, Moses said, stoner. And what do you say? I want us to stand. Hallelujah. And they thought they trapped him. 
And in a way, they had. I talked the first night about the finger of God that etched in stone the commandments from which all other 603 laws were based on Mount Sinai. It was the law that he had given because now he was in the world. The world was made by him. Paul would later say, after the way that is called heresy, so worship I the God of my fathers. When I worship Jesus, it's the God of Moses and Isaiah and Abraham. And so there he stood that day between a law that he gave and a soul that he had created. And which is the most important? The law you gave, of which heaven and earth will pass away, but not one jot or tittle will pass away? Or the soul of man, woman, that you made in your image, and you gave the law for? Make up your mind, Jesus! If you're going to abide by the law, we're going to stone her today. And then under their breath, and the Romans will take care of you tomorrow. And they all waited, and I believe heaven and hell waited. And that innumerable company of angels with bated breath. What a master stroke. What will he do? And can I propose to you that woman was not standing there chewing gum, swinging the beads. Her forehead was not hard. That was not a profession. She was snared. She was messed up. Maybe somewhere she wanted to meet Jesus, but never in a thousand nightmares under a circumstance like this. She couldn't even look at him. When she was a little girl, playing with little wooden dolls, did she ever dream her end would come like this? Did her mama ever dream it would come to this? So between a law he gave and a soul he created, standing on a world he'd spoken to existence in the midst of the people, that he'd reached out to and they never caught the message. He knelt down and he began to get his finger dirty one more time and he began to write in the dirt. Those standing around, where'd he go? Hey, where is he? He's on the ground. He's what? He's on the ground. What's he on the ground? What's he doing? He's writing. He's what? He's writing. Well, what in the world is he writing? Looks to me like he's writing the commandments. Ooh. He is? Yeah. Well, where's he at now? Number three? Now, this is fixing to get good, isn't it? 
And the woman looks. She's seen him before. She's raised in Israel. She knows where he's headed. And he gets to number six. Thou shalt not kill. And he's about to go to the seventh. Thou shalt not commit. She's wincing. And he stands. Look at her pin drop. dropped back to his knees and no doubt the woman shuddered and the crowd stood still and somewhere in that crowd the oldest the oldest man the longest record and the closest to eternity And he began to think about those same commandments. The things he'd done. And he dropped the stone and made his way. And then from the eldest to the least. And after a while, there's, there's just a few zealots standing around hopping from one foot to the next. They got a stone and they're ready to do business. And there's four and then there's three and then there's one. He drops the stone. He begins to run away. And Jesus is finishing up. And he crosses every T. And he, he dots every I. He takes care of every jot. And every tittle. And the woman's afraid to even look. And he gets up. He says, woman, where's your accusers? What? I don't have any. They're gone. I don't accuse you either. But this has got to be taken care of. It's got to be fulfilled. There's a just punishment for every one of these and 603 more, if you will. And so I have a word for you. I'll take care of this in a few days. Grace isn't cheap, man. It's free, but it's not cheap. And he could have said, the first time I wrote those in stone, I'll tell you what it cost me. A 
got my finger dirty on two tablets that I hewed out. But I don't want them on stone anymore, man. I want to get these and I want to somehow, I want to move them to the fleshly tables of your heart. And the first time I wrote them, it cost me a dirty finger. But you can't imagine what it's going to cost me to get them from there to there. But because I want you to know, I want it to be in your heart. I don't condemn you either. I'll take care of the condemnation myself. But go. And ma'am, don't sin anymore. And it was the sweetest word she ever heard in her life. And I know she didn't have the Holy Ghost yet. But in my mind's eye, I could see her at home that night sobbing her way through to a God she'd left a long time before. And long somewhere about midnight, it comes a knock. I've never preached it yet, but Brother Huntley, someday I'm going to preach the message, the unlucky man that got away. You know, there was two in the act that day. They just grabbed her. And that poor unlucky man that slipped away into the night and never got to come face to face with Jesus. And as he's knocking on the door, come on, let me in. And she puts her back to the door. And she manages to croak. Go away. What? Go away! Come on, it's me. Let me in. You don't understand. I will never let you in again. You don't know what happened to me today. You don't know what I experienced today! It's no longer just a commandment hanging on a wall somewhere. You don't know what God did. He put it down inside of me. There is a power. There's a power in Proverbs. You know, I've got a man, just, I've got a man in our church. He's a businessman. He's working with the U.S. government right now. Working up arrangements. He's trying to hire the right people. Takes the right people. The U.S. government's beginning to work a project whereby they remove tattoos from incarcerated people, especially people in federal prisons that are going to get out. They have found that a lot of times these tattoos, if you're here today and you got a tattoo, you know, I'm just, come on, don't worry about it. But they have found that these tattoos can align them with gangs and situations and there's an instant eye recognition and it can pull them back into areas they don't want to go. So 
so they're very bent on removing these tattoos. Mm -hmm. But it used to be that to remove a tattoo is an exceedingly painful situation, but it's changed now. They have come up with a way to remove tattoos with laser. And they will shoot certain laser light on a tattoo. And when they do, the laser alone cannot remove it. But when the laser hits the skin where the tattoo is, it works with the blood on the other side of the skin. And the light and the blood together works something and it eradicates that indelible stain that's there. Can I tell you, they're just finding out what God has known for a long time. Proverbs 16 and 6, Brother Huntley. By mercy and By truth. By mercy and truth. Iniquity is purged. It's not just mercy. Mercy and truth, iniquity it's, is purged. It's the two together. Lady, I'm not just showing you mercy. I'm showing you truth. And if I can get the truth by mercy into your heart, it has the power right. to purge something in you. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Come on. Catch, catch it tonight. Catch it tonight. It's the mercy and the truth together. Come on, Simon. I don't just want to get rid of that sword. I want mercy and truth to get together in your heart. And with an indelible stain, he cursed the Lord. He's holed up in a corner somewhere. He's not bragging anymore. He's not tough dog anymore. He knows what he is. And it's three days later. And he's like a broken man. Everybody knows what he did. Nobody was a hero, but come on, Simon. And the door kicks open. And a wild-eyed little lady, a former demoniac by the name of Mary Magdalene, is running in saying, He's alive. I saw Him! And this is what He told me. Go tell the disciples and Peter, I'm alive and well. It's going to be corner. He begins to uncurl. What did you say? He called my name? Yeah. He said, go tell the disciples. And he, you heard him say my... You mean he still got my name on his lips? When the last time I called his name, it was with a filthy curse? He said, your name, sir. And he began to run. And he ran, and he ran. And John had read him, but he stopped at the sepulcher. And Simon had more at stake, and he thrust him aside, and he went in. He's alive. He called my name. And all of the truths that Jesus ever told him, and the mercy he just bestowed, Righteousness and peace met together. Mercy and truth have kissed each other. And they met in that man's soul. And Simon Peter, like the woman taken in adultery, would never be the same again. Brothers and sisters, 
We need to let Jesus do something in our hearts. We'll never be the same again. I thank you for every chapter, every verse, every line. I thank you for every commandment. I thank you for every precept. But oh God, by the mercies of God, I will present myself a living sacrifice. Holy, acceptable unto God. It's it's after all, it really is my reasonable service. Brothers and sisters, I like every eye to be closed, every head to be bowed. I know the heartbeat of your pastor. And I really do believe it's the heartbeat of God Almighty. Come on, brothers and sisters, there's a more excellent way tonight. There's a revelation that he's given even as I speak. He wants us to love him like we've never loved him and to serve him with purity. You say, but you don't know the mistakes I've made. Come on, friend. He's in the house tonight. He's here to heal. He's here to change. He's here to forgive. He's here to set free. Come on, friend. It's a good night to throw away any sword you got hanging around. It's a good night to say, God, okay, I'll give up. I'm giving it to you, Jesus. If you'd like to step out wherever you are, whoever you are, and come and present your body and say, Jesus, to give me the law, you got your finger dirty. To give me the grace and the truth that's in this house, you had to go to Calvary. You had to go to Pilate's Judgment Hall. They had to shred you and beat you till your visage was marred more than any other. It didn't cost much but a dirty finger to give me the law, but now... Price you paid. The price you paid. Come on, sir. Come on, ma'am. Come on, young person. You're not too young. He loves you. He wants to reveal himself and his 